This episode of the Gospel Coalition podcast is sponsored by The Good Book Company, publisher of Enjoying God by Tim Chester, a book that makes a great Christmas gift. More information at thegoodbook.com. This is the Gospel Coalition podcast, where we seek to renew the contemporary church in the ancient gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm your host, Colin Hansen. On today's podcast, Mina Maura interviews Tim Keller about Jonah and the mystery of God's mercy. So I got to ask the first question. Um, why Jonah? Man, you could have written about anything else. Why this book? Well, the short answer is my wife asked me to write it. She, <laughs> she, she asked me to get it written. So that's the very shortest answer, and it's totally true. Um, it's the reason why she always felt that it was a book I was going to write, but I never got to it. So she finally started saying, come on, it's time. Um, but I, I preached on the book three times in my ministry. I preached on it, but I didn't, by the way, I didn't plan this. I preached on it all the way through it in 1981, 1991 and 2001. Wow. So every 10 years. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't plan on it. It's just that it is a great it's a great book to preach because it's a story. Yeah. Uh, it's a story that's not too long, only four chapters, and the chapters are pretty short. But uh, you you basically follow the story. I mean, it's it's you know mm-hmm. from week to week to week, people want to come back and you know see what's going on the next time. So stories are always more compelling. But it's it's about everything. It's almost like um, uh, the. The, the, it's a rich story because it talks about obedience and repentance and the wrath of God, but it also, I think, talks about uh, the importance of dealing with people who are racially and religiously different and to treat them with respect. And and so it's pretty uh, remarkable. It's also about identity. It's also about, like, who are you? That's mm-hmm. the question they ask him. Who are you? And he, his, you know, he gives an answer. So it's uh, it's psychological, sociological. Yeah. It has, it's it's uh, it's political in the broad sense, of course, of uh, because uh, you could say that Jonah was putting his own national interests, the interests of Israel, against the spirits over over the spiritual good of the people of Nineveh. Hmm. He knew that if Nineveh was destroyed by God, then that would make Israel safer. He wasn't very happy when God relented, which shows that he was putting, in a sense his nation over the spiritual good of, of, of these people. And so you, that, that, that says something yeah. too. So it, what I liked about it was the story. I was familiar with it. I knew how rich it was and it kind of speaks to so many things. That's why I did it. That's why I preached it. And then the reason I wrote it up was because my wife always loved those, those sermons very much. And she said, come on, get it into a book. You know, I got to tell you, I've read a lot of your books. I think this one is the best. And I've, I've, I've enjoyed all of them. Let me make that clear. But this one just stands out to me more. And I don't know why that is. I love the story of Jonah. Maybe that's part of it as well. But you start the book off where you say, is it, is, is it about race and nationalism? Since Jonah seems to be more concerned over his nation's military security than over a city of spiritually lost people. While you were writing and preaching on Jonah, were there some things about him that you learned that you didn't know? Uh, yeah. I mean, but each time I preached on it, see, it was very different places and times. The first time I preached on it, I was in the South, mm. in a little blue-collar town in the 1970s, 80s, 
where talking about this was was a little bit dicey with my older yeah. white Southern congregation because they heard it as saying, don't be racially prejudiced, which I think is fair. Yeah. But then uh, when I preached it in, you know, I preached it in 2001. I preached it. The first sermon on Jonah was the week before 9-11. Hmm. The second and then and I, I preached on the rest of Jonah in the weeks right after 9/11. And there it had a it was completely different. Here we're talking about um the danger of turning around and saying all these Muslims are horrible people. Yeah. And uh, and and sort of uh, just that there's a danger there was a different kind of danger. It wasn't white and black. It was America versus these awful terrorists. Hmm. And it was not easy to to preach about that point because what what happened in new york was awful i mean yeah. like most people we had people in our church people who were going to our church that were killed the, the book of jonah is to say god actually cares about all races and all people he wants he wants his church in well in the end his church will consist of people from every tongue tribe people and nation wow and we we can't just lift up one nation over other nations we have to christians always know sure some nations are better than other nations of course that's true no doubt about yeah. it, but we still have to. It, it, it's like um, our commitment to Christ relativizes that. I'm a Christian first, and I'm an American second. And I'm a Christian first, and I'm white second. Mm. And, I, and if that's not true, then you need to read the Book of Jonah <laughs> because that's part of that's part of what it's trying to say. I think, even though it's it's you know 40 years of reading the book and three times preaching through it, I know that doesn't immediately strike you, but I try to make the case in the book that every time. Jonah is near one of the near the pagans. The pagans look better than Jonah does. Yeah. The pagans are always making Jonah look bad. That's clearly the one of the main points of the author is to say Jonah is sneering at these people, but actually there's a lot of admirable things about these people, and you shouldn't be sneering at people of different races and religions. So I, it took me a while to see that, but once I saw it, I said, you know, that's that's not the only thing the book's about. Of course, it's about doing God's will, preaching God's word obeying God no matter what the cost. Mm. Lots of other things that are in there. Yeah. I got to tell you, Tim, I feel like I'm in, in recovery to a certain degree. I, I went to a, a former, I went to former President Obama's campaign rally Friday night, and then I went to President Trump's rally last night. And the whole idea, I'm writing an op-ed piece about culture and how much we're the same. And it seems like I met Christians at both of them. Nationalism is on the rise yeah. and and I got to say, I was really depressed about it on both, on both rallies, Tim, to be fair. How can Christians yeah. confront that? And at the same time, do you think it's on the rise too? Well, certainly I don't think there's a whole lot of doubt about that. And it's not just in America. Yeah. Um, I think I'm over here in Europe and I just spent, I, I, we, we had a conference, Redeemer city to city, which is a you know a church planning network. I uh, just had a conference in Krakow, Poland. Um, so it was out of, sort of in the Eastern Europe, and of course I spent time here. And everybody's talking about the fact that there's a. Um, I took I do think that Christians are are somewhat stuck a little bit because mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with saying, of course, um, we need to have secure borders. Of course, we can't take absolutely anybody that ever wants to come into our country. But there's another part of us that um, I mean, there's another part of Christianity that says we're supposed to be kind of the the alien and the immigrant and 
the um, uh, I mean, obviously, there's got to be a balance here, and I don't see the balance. I feel like anybody who's um, uh, anybody, it, it, there are people on one hand that just seem to look at, kind of vilify immigrants. Yeah, they just vilify people, and and it's and to some degree, I don't know. Listen, as a white guy, an older white guy, uh, looking back at my life, I mean, an awful lot of the racial prejudice. You don't want to, You can't excuse it, but to some degree, it's it, you're blind to it until somebody points it out. Hmm. So I'm really not trying to say everybody who's kind of on the right or everybody's a nationalist is a sup- white supremacist. I just don't think that's fair to say. But on the other hand, there's uh, they're, they're kind of blind to a lot of people are blind, and you know, some Christians are blind to what could happen if we keep going down this anti-immigrant, anti. Yeah, uh, these are not our people. But on the other hand, there is a um, a, a left wing uh, backlash against nationalism and Donald Trump, and a lot of it's not religious based, unfortunately. And of course, you know this because I find an awful lot of Black Christian friends yeah. are kind of stuck because, on the one hand, the Democratic Party does serve their <laughs> interests very well in some ways, yeah. but it also is becoming increasingly secular and anti-religious, and so that puts. Um, I still think that that thoughtful white Christians who are Republicans and thoughtful black Christians who are Democrats are often really made to feel uncomfortable because Very much the, so. each par- each party has a kind of package deal, and so that is so. If I'm conservative, and I care about let's just say I'm pro-life. I'll say, well, the Republicans are way better on that, and that's a serious issue. But then you go in there, and then there's these other package deal things that come along that, as a Christian, I don't like. Yeah. If you're if you're a Democrat. Same thing. I appreciate, you know, the call to racial justice, but then there's all this other stuff, especially in the area of sex, that I just don't like. And so, I do think it's fair to say, though I've been, I've gotten heat on this. Mine, I've gotten heat to say <laughs> I do think most thoughtful, balanced, biblical Christians should feel somewhat uncomfortable in either political party. You think and I've so? Had, I've had real pushback. I'm, I'm, usually, it's people on on the right who say. Um, there's nothing wrong with the Republican Party at all. And I'm just saying, I don't think there's anything. I certainly would never say you can't vote Republican. I, yeah. I can think of all kinds of reasons why Christians can vote either Democrat or Republican. I think of all kind of good reasons. Mm. Um, even though every, almost every Christian has got some qualms about their party, I hope. Um, I can see why in the end you decide you vote for the one that you think the less bad. Mm. And therefore I would never say, how dare you, you voted for him, you voted for her, you no, never. So I, I do think, yeah, is, you, your two questions, nationalism is rising, yeah. definitely. I think people who are part of that don't realize the bad things that could come out of it. I think Christians need to recognize the danger of what they call xenophobia, where you just are fearful of people who are different. Uh, whether you want to call that racism or not, that's not mm-hmm. what the Bible says our attitude should be. And um, so, yeah, there we are. So, yeah, that's a problem. Yeah. So I'm afraid of I'm afraid of Christians getting too radicalized on either side. I do see some, you know, more liberal Christians who are just just basically saying you can't be a Christian and be and vote Republican. And so I see certainly I see plenty of Republican Christians saying the same thing about the Democrats. What are some of the misunderstandings about about Jonah, especially and for me? It's a personal question. I struggle with the ending of Jonah, <laughs> to be honest with you, because mm-hmm. it doesn't seem to end with a bang. And I wanted to end with a bang, man. What are some of the misunderstandings that people like me 
struggle with when it comes to the story of Jonah? Well, at the end, it's a cliffhanger. Yeah. And I always hated <laughs> TV shows that didn't end. In other words, when you get to the end of a TV show and it says, it's a cliffhanger, it says, continue next week. I used to hate that. Mm. And that's what you have at the end of Jonah because Jesus, God's been working on Jonah to try to get him to see that he has a that he doesn't understand the grace of God. He doesn't understand how we all need mercy, mm. that he should not be resenting God's mercy to the pagans because he lives by mercy too. I mean, I think that's the main message of the book. And at the very end, you know, he's counseling Jonah, and then the book ends. Yes. And what's really bad about Jonah is not only it's a cliffhanger, but there is no part two. <laughs> right. <laughs> there's, no, there's no Jonah part two next week. I think, I think though, it is, it's kind of gripping because I do think it means that the author is trying to get us to ask the question to ourselves. Mm-hmm. In other words, the final question is God says, shouldn't you be having compassion on the 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left? And he asked that question, and because Jonah doesn't answer, it's almost like Jonah gets out of the way. And see, I think that it's like it's like the, you know God sort of shoots his arrow at Jonah, and Jonah disappears. I think that's one reason for it. I, I here's something that Kathy and I believe, though. Hmm. Maybe you've heard the idea that Mark, the Gospel of Mark, was largely uh, the sources for the Gospel of Mark was largely Peter. Yeah. There's a lot of scholarship that says that it's almost like Peter's gospel because he's in every scene. And traditionally, it was said that uh, Peter was the source of material that the gospel writer Mark used. Saying, okay. Hmm. Well, what's interesting, though, is Peter looks terrible in the gospel of Mark. He looks absolutely terrible. Yeah. And I've always been comforted by that because what it seems to me to be telling us is that Peter really was healed and saved by grace. And a man who's truly saved by grace isn't afraid of, of admitting how stupid and flawed he was. Mm. You know, he really he, he really the grace of God, so he does not have to cover up his past. Wow. Uh, well, I think that may be what happens here, because how would we know about all this stuff? How would we know all these these things about Jonah? Mm. Unless Jonah tells us. But then why? Jonah must have told somebody who who wrote the book. But then why would Jonah have told anybody a story that made him look so bad? The only answer would be the same thing, the same reason Peter did that, and that is that he actually did get it. He wow. actually did finally figure it out. And even Jonah had to know things, you know, probably found out later on that the pagan sailors were saved, you know, and all that sort of thing. So my guess is that Jonah was the source of the story, but he would never have uh, told us the way, told it the way he did unless he actually did finally, in the end, understand the grace of God. So, Kathy and I believe it was a happy ending, Mina. I, want, I, don't okay. want you to be, I don't want you to be I don't want you to be hung up on this. Not I cool. don't want you to be in suspense the rest of your life. I believe I believe Jonah was okay. He was saved, huh. basically. I, I appreciate that, because I really have struggled with that for a long time. What about the well? I often, when I'm talking, especially to people who are outside of faith, they will say to me, I get the story, but the well, do you really believe that, Mina? How do you, mm-hmm. like, how can Christ followers help people who are far from God? Yeah. Even people who are, who are believers who struggle with the yeah. well concept, Tim. Well, when I, I, I try to say something early on to kind of get out of the way, what I usually say is to people, I would say, now, that's really, I said, let's just read the story as mm-hmm. it is, because... 
the real question is, was Jesus raised from the dead? Wow. Now, we're not there right now. We're, we're studying the book of Jonah. So let's learn what we can learn. But the, the, here's the, the point is that if Jesus was raised from the dead, that's a big miracle. So if you believe that miracle, then there's no problem with this one. Hmm. See, the, one, the, the, the fish, the whale. On the other hand, <clears throat> you say, if you don't believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, well, of course you're not going to believe this. Hmm. So what we ought to do at some point when somebody says, I struggle with the fish or the whale, um, at some point you say, well, let's talk about whether you believe Jesus was raised from the dead. I have to tell you one thing, though, money is if somebody says, well, I believe in the resurrection, I believe in Jesus, but I just have trouble in believing that a man could have been swallowed by a fish and, um, you know, and, and survive. And I'm thinking, what? <laughs> Give me, you're being so inconsistent. You're telling me that God could raise Jesus from the dead, but he couldn't do that? Right. <laughs> so I usually tie it to the resurrection and say, you know, what do you think about that? If they if they say I believe the resurrection, then I'm going to say, come on, come on. You've got to believe the There's whale no too. <laughs> yeah, no. yeah. Come on. If they say, well, I'm not even sure about that. I say, okay, fine. Then let's read the book and we'll learn about that. But sometime we need to go and really see whether you think Christianity is true. Hmm. So you you just basically I just try to I take attention away from it. I try to say let's not pay that much attention to this. It's really, it's really tied up in, in bigger issues about what you believe about Jesus. Do you think we are in a post-Christian culture? Oh. Okay. Well, um, well, I think the short answer is pretty much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, increase, no, here's a better answer. Increasingly. Hmm. And I think that's the best answer to put down. Increasingly. Hmm. Um, the trouble is, now if you think about this, if... Um, are we as post-Christian as a pre-Christian culture? So, for example, in India, could you ask your Muslim or, or Hindu neighbor to come to a, uh, you know, a Christmas candlelight, Christmas Eve candlelight service and expect them to come? They're yeah. probably going to say, "What are you talking about? Why would I want to do that?" Yeah. Uh, here, it's still not so horribly post-Christian that you couldn't get people out to. They, you know, people like Christmas and they. And you know they they they're, you know it's it, they'd probably come or in many many cases, and it depends on what part of the country you're from. Yeah. Uh, and I would say, frankly, Georgia is way less post-Christian than New York City, San Francisco, or Boston. Definitely. Yeah. But even here, even here, um, now this is this is my this is my bottom line test. You can still in 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 the middle of San Francisco, New York, and Boston, you can still start a church without doing any evangelism. Hmm. You can st there's still enough Christians around. You can gather a church and actually have a viable church. I see it happening, even in Manhattan. Wow. And when I see that happening, there's enough church people who are still looking for a church, or you know, usually younger people because they move to the cities because they think it's cool to be in a city. You can gather them without doing evangelism. If that's the case, we're really not all that post-Christian yet, but we're getting that a little bit more, a little bit more. All the studies show that the people, young people in America under the age of 21, are they're, they're three times more likely to say they're atheists. Hmm. They're three, three or four times more times more likely to say that they have no religion. So we're not as post-Christian as Europe. Yeah. But um, even Europe isn't all that totally post-Christian. There's still a, people still go to church. I mean, it's still not it's still not a. a impossible to talk to people about Christianity, but I think the right way to put it is increasingly. Gotcha. Uh, just don't, don't exaggerate it. Don't, don't, don't act like Christians are being persecuted. This isn't China or, or even India yeah. where churches are getting burned, fairly, burned down. Yeah. You know, 
So it's we're not there yet, but we're on our way. I definitely agree. Okay. Um, what can we learn from Jonah, as in you know, when it comes to the body of Christ here in America? Well, it's certainly a lively idea. I mean, I I think an awful books on Jonah point out the idea that our God is a missionary God, and Mm -hmm. I think that's fair. Wow. Um, I told you the theological theme, the main theme, is what's in the subtitle, Jonah and the Mystery of God's Mercy. I I think the main theme is that the reason Jonah looks down on these people is he's confused that God is merciful to them because he doesn't see how much he needs mercy to. And because of that pride, that spiritual pride, that inability to see just how radically we need mercy and grace, he—he was—that's he, the reason he behaved the way he did. It's also the reason that it got in the way of his being a missionary. And what's weird about Jonah, you know, is even though Amos, Isaiah, Jeremiah, who else? You know, there's two or three other prophets yeah. that are given. Um, they're given, uh, God gives them words for the nations. So they're speaking to, you know, Assyria and Babylon and Egypt and Moab and all that. So they, they, there were some other uh, prophets that actually had messages for the pagans, for the non, non-believers. But Jonah was the first guy that was actually sent out of Israel yeah. to go deliver a message. And it must have been a shock to him because no, and I think it's a foretaste of, of the Christian church. Because Israel was a witness to the nations by drawing them in to say, look at our God-ordered society. But as soon as the gospel comes, as soon as the Pentecost hits, we're sent out. And so Jonah was a forerunner of that. He's a kind of like foretaste. And uh, because he didn't grasp the gospel of grace in his own life, he was a terrible missionary. Wow. It was just terrible. Yeah. <laughs> um, in spite of the fact, by the way, here's another great thing about it, is, is that, you know, the pa- people... the God sends him to the pagans, um, you know, so they'll hear the hear the you know the word of God. In the first half of the book, the very people he despises and he's trying to avoid being a missionary. Wow! They get converted because of him. Yes, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> which, is, which is so bizarre. He's, he's running away. <laughs> he does not want to talk to these people, and yet he ends up getting converted because almost certainly they get converted when the when the when the storm is over. It says they they sacrificed. And they called on the name of Yahweh. It's pretty clear that they actually get converted. Yeah. So I think the main the the two things to learn. You just asked me for two, and you got one more question. That's fine. The two things are: we have to see that we're sinners saved by grace, and mm. how radically we need grace takes a long time to sink in. And as it's sinking in, we become more open to everyone else in the world. That's the first thing. And then secondly. Unless we grasp the grace of God, we're going to be terrible missionaries, but God wants everybody to be a missionary. We're all supposed to be willing to share our faith. We don't always have to leave the country, hmm. but we're all supposed to be men and women in mission. And I can I can go to the two things to learn. The best line in the book, in my opinion, is page 15. So Jonah had a problem with the job he was given, but he had a bigger problem with the one who gave it to him. Tim, thank you. I enjoyed every bit of the book. I think it was your most practical book that you've written that I've read so far. You know what Kathy would say, the reason that Kathy wanted it is it's a it's the most balanced book. Yes. Because I, I I've written books where like I've written books on the Bible, you know, where I'm basically expounding the Bible. Yeah. And I've written books of you might say application, like how do you walk with God through suffering and how do you pray? Uh I've had written topical books and biblical books, but this sort of put them all together. 
and I do think in some ways it's the most balanced book where you're getting biblical teaching yes. and expository teaching, but then at the same time you're getting reflection um, on these various subjects. So that's one of the reasons you want me to do it was because there's so many, uh, it's such a balance of things. So I appreciate it. I, no. I'm not surprised, and I'll tell my wife because she'll be very happy to know that you think this is the best book I ever wrote. Man. Thank you so much, and thank you for your time. I have been and will be continuing okay. to pray for you while you're on the road. Thank you for what you do thank for the you. kingdom. You've been listening to the Gospel Coalition podcast. For more gospel-centered resources, visit thegospelcoalition.org. Support for this podcast comes from listeners like you. Learn more and join us at tgc.org slash donate.